Blog Talk Radio. Evening, y'all. Please take a seat on the couch. Have you ever seen peaches grow on a sweet potato vine? Come on over to my backyard. I'll show you mine. You don't like my peaches? Well, baby, don't you shake my tree. You don't like my peaches now, honey? Let my peaches be. And if you don't I'm Vinny Bonmarini, and I welcome you to take a seat on the couch. If you love the blues, you need to support the Blues Foundation. If you are not yet a member, you need to go to www.blues.org and become a member today. Your sponsorship dollars help the Blues Foundation support the Heart Fund, which assists blues musicians and their families in financial need. The Sound Health Care Program, providing medical benefits and insurance programs to professionals in the blues community. The Blues in Schools Program, bringing the blues to schools around the country. And its offshoot, Generation Blues, offering young men and women scholarships to accredited music camps to allow them to learn from some of the best and the holding of the International Blues Challenge and the Blues Music Awards in Memphis, Tennessee. And now, the building of the Blues Hall of Fame at their headquarters here in Memphis 
at 421 South Main Street. It's time to help raise the roof. If you love the blues, help support this organization that is keeping the great art form alive. The Blues Foundation at www.blues.org. Let's all help raise the roof. And a couple of reminders this evening before we get into the show. If you're a Blue Society board member or a winner of your local challenge this year, please email me at 2013IBC at musiconthecouch.com. That's 2013IBC at musiconthecouch.com. And then I can include you on getting you all the information about the live shows we'll be holding on Beale Street this year. Uh, again, from the Rum Boogie Cafe. Uh, also, October 10th is the evening of the Music on the Couch Rum Boogie Benefit for the Blues Hall of Fame here in Memphis uh, with Mr. Bernie Pearl uh, giving us his wonderful evening of music. The event is at Mr. Handy's Blues Hall on Beale Street, and it's free. We will be passing the hat, obviously, all night long, and every penny raised will go to uh, the Blues Hall of Fame Fund uh, at the Blues Foundation. Uh, at the top of the show, we heard the song Peaches from the album Sweet Like Honey from my first guest, Miss Lisa Bialis. Good evening, Lisa, and thanks for taking a seat on the couch. Hey, Vinny. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing just wonderful. Uh, Lisa, where did you grow up? I grew up in Fairfield, Ohio. It's a little uh, near Cincinnati. Okay. Uh, so when you were just a young lass, uh, just barely walking around the house, what kind of music did Mom and Dad play in your home? Oh, they were playing Dixieland jazz music. My dad was a, a musician. He played upright bass, and my mom was a singer. They they performed together, and uh, I was digging it. <laughs> okay, so there was a lot of live music around the house on uh, during the during the evenings. Yep, and uh, at jam sessions at friends' houses on weekends, and uh, a lot of parties going on. Now your uh, brother, who was a drummer. Uh, helped you learn the guitar at an early age. What were you, like, 11? Yeah, 11 or 12. I, I yeah. kind of begged him, please show me a song. And uh, he did, and then I learned it, and I came back and said, please show me another song. And he did, and I came back, and I said, show me another one. And he got real tired real quick, and he gave me all his Beatle books. <laughs> and the Beatle, Beatle books had those chords over top of it, you know. Yeah. So that's how I learned to... <laughs> That's how I learned to play and sing. And so by, and yeah, so um, now you're 12 and you're just learning the guitar, and by the time you're 16, you're singing in your dad's Dixieland band. <laughs> yeah. Can you remember the first time that you went on stage and what it was like just before you walked on? Oh, my gosh, I was so nervous. But, you know, when he turned to me and smiled and all the guys looked at me and they were like, oh, wow, it just felt so good. Uh, were you? Did you have a nice little outfit on for the for the evening? Well, I don't remember that at the time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, now. Um, well, I don't. Uh, okay. I you was know, just a kid, you know. Like, uh, yeah. Okay. You're 16. So now, were you also um, doing music on your own uh, during oh, high school? Yeah. Did you play in bands at all? Yeah, or I had any- a, yeah, I sang in a band in high school. We played for our proms and homecomings and weddings and dances and the, the neighboring schools proms and homecomings. Yeah, I was really busy every weekend. So, uh, were you doing all covers? Did you, did you do? Were you doing any writing back then? I was doing writing, but we did mostly covers. And one of the other guys in the band did some writing, so we did some of his tunes. But it was mostly covers at the time. Okay, so then. Um... 
So you get out of uh, high school and you went to college. Uh, well, actually, I graduated what? high school and I joined a rock and roll band. Oh, did you? Okay, okay. Um, today, <laughs> yeah. And, and talk about that time. Where, did you do a lot of touring, or was it is in local yeah. area? Yeah, we toured Ohio and the uh, surrounding states. Uh, we even went to New York at one point. We did a lot of colleges. Uh-huh. That was college age. I've always played for my peers, so it was uh, colleges that we did. And um, uh, then I came home for a little while, and uh, after that, about two years, and Worked a little bit, but I always played music, and I went to college later. Okay, okay. And at what point, how old were you when you met Sarah Reed? It was, I guess, about 91 that you met her? Yeah, 1991. We started playing uh, children's music together. I had two kids, and she had two kids at the time. And it was really a wonderful gig because we played for schools. Mm-hmm. And so I could go to, you know, the kids would get on the bus or walk to school, and I would drive and by the time I got home, they would be home. So it was a good, really great way to play. And then I had also had a band, and I played on weekends as well. Okay, but so you, I mean, in that time when the kids were, were young, um, but you always still played on weekends, or did was oh, there a yeah. time you took off? Oh, you, you kept performing. Okay. Yeah, uh, I never really had any time off. I just, yeah, it just yeah. Uh, always worked out that I played. And now, in 2002, you got the best album of the year by the Children's Music Web Association for your CD, Pocketful of Lizards. Was that the first album that you guys had put together? Um, It was. It was our first kids' album. And, uh, boy, we sold a lot of those CDs. We played for kids all over Ohio. And, um, yeah, it got an award along that year with uh, Pete Seeger's album. Mm-hmm. That was quite mm-hmm. quite an honor. It was. Uh, it's really good. People love it. They still love it today. They're yeah. like, it's my savior when I go to, in the car with my kids, you know. And now my grandkids are saying. Yeah. So uh, all together, you two put out four albums. Now, do you still perform together? I I couldn't figure that part out when I was doing research. Yeah, we only do about one show a year. The um, We've just kind of gone our separate ways as far as uh, artistically, but we're still great friends. And so we have one show a year we do in uh, Mount Vernon for 700 first graders every Yikes. year. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oof. Yeah. They, they, do they all do they all know your music from from having it they played know by the parents? Yeah. They know it. Their teachers play it. We walk on stage like rock stars. It's really delightful. Oh, there you go. That's great. And the whole time yeah. you were still you were still playing. Uh, uh, roots, blues, uh, music, uh, little rock and roll here and there. Yeah, that's um, right. I had my own band mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. How you know, tough? Like any other... I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead, please. I was going to say, like any other working musician, you're working as much as you can. Sure, sure. How tough was it when you when your children were young to to do all of this at the same time and raise them? Yeah. Yeah, it got to got to be pretty uh, hectic, and I I did take a little break from um, the uh, nighttime performing for a little while, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of regrouped. And um, I guess I did have a little break, and I had a contemplative period. I got a divorce and uh, started writing. You know, I guess I needed to write to help my help me get through whatever I was going through, and. Um, yeah, so that yeah. that worked out. 
No, that's I I I get that. Um, I sort of when I started doing a lot a lot of different things when I went through about the same you know when I went through the same thing. Um, I want to talk about Gypsy Woman Blues. Tell t- tell us about the song. Um, this is one of your this is one of the three that you wrote on the album. Yeah, I had the tune. I'd had it for about a year, and um, I sent it to E.G. Kite, who produced the album, and said, there's just so many words in this song. I just, it, it, it needs something, and I had, I had a different rhythm, and I sent it to her in an MP3. She lives in, uh, in Georgia, and she sent it back to me with this kind of, uh, oh, God, swampy sort of feel to it, and I just loved it. She changed some of the words around, so... Um, that was it. I was uh, um, just kind of day, uh, reading about uh, voodoo and how it was set up for it, love potions, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people mm-hmm. are like, ooh, they're afraid of voodoo and things because um, they think about uh, the bad, bad uh, spells that can be put on you. But really it was originated for healing and medicine and, and love and good luck. There's a, there's a, there's a white a white medicine also it's not all dark yeah yeah, yeah. um lisa yeah, b so alice the, i'm sorry go ahead please i was gonna say so in the song she waves angelica root which is a love love root over her her man's head in hopes that he will uh come back her way that's i i i i, I dig the song it's just one of the ones that jumped out on me on the uh, on the album uh the album is sweet like honey uh, it's Lisa B. Alice, and this is Gypsy Woman Blues. I'll lay down on 
Gypsy Woman Blues from Lisa Bialis off of the Just Like Honey album. Uh, and just showing some love to all the great artists uh, on the album. Uh, throughout the album, Tommy Talton on acoustic and slide guitars, uh, Bill Stewart on drums, Marshall Coates on bass, Gary Porter on percussion, Paul Hornsby on piano, and it was uh, Paul's studio that the album was recorded in. Uh, Ken Wynn, Gary Porter, and E.G. Kite uh, did background vocals, and E.G. Kite also uh, produced the album. Um, uh, Vic Dunstan plays tuba on some songs. We heard uh, him, uh, Pat Ferguson on harmonica on a couple of songs. Uh, it's just it's just jam packed. And I said to Lisa, I said, you know, I had been listening to the album for a while before I actually really dug into the liner notes and realized Tommy Talton was on. And uh, just a quick plug that he had, in two weeks, Tommy's bringing his brand new album uh, to me. He's going to catch, and uh, it's the day before it drops. Uh, I got it the other day, and I've been listening to it a lot. Uh, so I'm looking forward to playing, you know, having him back on. Uh, fun. He's got to be fun to work in the studio with. He just seems like that kind of a guy. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. I uh, I only played on the my song Peaches, but I sit in with my guitar and I say, I'm kind of thinking this kind of a feel, and he would just immediately have it. I'm like, mm-hmm. how does he do that? You know, just fabulous and a yeah. great guy. Yeah. You released your first album in 1999, Music Box. Um, yeah. That was the first time that you had been in the studio as a solo artist. Was it Was it different for you? Um, yeah, it's kind of lonely when you're in there by yourself, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I had a lot of fun with it. And, it's uh, kind of a mixture yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was kind of mixture. I had I was working with a band at the time, so there's some some of my band in there. I was working solo, so there's some of me solo. I was working with Sarah, so there's some stuff that she and I did together. So it's just a, a big mixture of kind of what I did up until 1999, mm-hmm. and then I kind of moved on. You know, I like I, I marked a point in time with that recording, and then I moved ahead. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I just felt like I had to kind of do that. Feel the need to put down for a record all the stuff that you had been doing prior to that, and then knowing that, you know, your musical career was going to now move forward. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. interesting. Had, yeah. Um, in 2003, you were able to quit your day job and focus on music. Uh, was that scary? Um, actually, it was really delightful and wonderful. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what I needed. So you started working, and uh, a couple, three years later, in 2006, you brought uh, Chasing the Blues, Chasing Away the Blues, uh, into the world. Uh, was it easier to go into the studio for the second time, and did you have a better idea of what you wanted to do going in for this uh, album? Yeah, I was. I recorded in the home studio of a friend, Celeste Friedman, and she did a fantastic job uh, producing that record for me. And I was really, my parents had, had both died at that time, and I was really inspired to write and get into the studio because when we went back through their things, I heard my mom was a singer, you know, and, and my dad played. So there were some records where they played together, and my mom sang two songs, and I kept listening and listening and listening. I only had two 
songs from her, and I was just so sad. And I thought, gosh, I I don't want my kids to go through my stuff and only have mm-hmm. two songs. You know what I mean? So I got busy yeah. recording and writing first, and then recording. And I have two boys, and I thought, you know, boys don't cry enough, and they're going to need to hear this someday. And um, so that got me going in the in the studio. Yeah, it's funny. I noticed both the both the first two albums. You got incredible honors in Australia. Was there? Yeah. How did that come about? That was interesting to me. You know, I really don't know. I've I've self produced and and uh, sent my CDs around to radio stations forever, as long as I've been recording. And then I would get the radio reports and the for. Um, gosh, my song "Playing with Angels." It it ended up, you know, it was like way down and then up and then up and then up and then 32 and then 12 and then number one. I'm like, I don't know how this happens. <laughs> it's just so, have you ever been able to go down there and, and perform? I've not been to Australia, no. Okay. Okay. I just, yeah, just, you know, just so interesting to me that, you know, in, in reading all, all the information that I was finding that those two just seem to strike a chord down there for you. Uh Yeah. And as you just said, I mean, yeah, you were on a rocket ship uh, of creativity because uh, in 2007, uh, two year, two albums, right? Come to yep. me, uh, uh, and oh no, 2007 was Come to Me, and then 2008 was Hey There, and yeah. uh, which you recorded in your living room, correct? That's right, I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, was that was that was that sort of in response to the? the results you got from recording in the living room for uh, Chasing Away the Blues? Did you just... Yeah, I had met Todd Burge in West Virginia, and he had a mobile recording studio. And, you know, the thought of going away again to be away from home to record and be gone for a few weeks was, well, I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to be at home, and I have a, you know, great wooden floor here and a big high ceiling. And I met him, and he said he could come over, and we so we recorded at home. It's kind of an album of love songs. I got married, and it was kind of, I was inspired to write love songs, so that was um, the Hey There album. That's cool. And at the same time, you also produced, well, you, you released Yellow Shoes, but that was from a one-woman off-Broadway production that you took to New York in 08? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I was kind of... Uh, is that a fond memory, or is that one of those memories? It is. Kind of sh- oh, okay, okay. It's a, it's a fond memory. It was um, revisiting uh, the shows that I used to do for kids, and uh, uh, the New York was having a Fringe Fest Festival, and uh, Barrow Street Theater mm-hmm. um, wanted to ask a couple afternoon shows, and I, you know, submitted my stuff, and they said, hey, you want to? And I said, yeah. Heck yeah. Uh-huh. And how long how long did it last? It was just for the Fringe Festival. It was two shows. Okay, okay, that's that's very cool. And, and well, actually, least... it was called, it was called the Fortnite Festival. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. So uh, yeah, you were very busy. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's got to be a lot of fun to be able to bring it to New York. Um, now, now I want to talk about the the uh, title of your 2010 album, Closet Hippie. Yeah. That's it. I think it's just a great album title. Um, uh, is that how you looked at yourself at that time, or still do? Uh, it kind of was. 
I guess not anymore. I'm sort of out, I suppose. I I was having trouble with uh, arthritis in my um, left hand, which, you know, that's the hand that I put on the strings to right. make a chord sound and, and, and play. And uh, I was just kind of experimenting with different types of, uh, you know, homeopathic and different kind of drugs and things. And I kind of experimented and seeing how if marijuana would, would help. And that, mm-hmm. that's kind of where that went. It's like, well, I'm... I'm kind of out of the closet if I'm kind of using that for a medicinally for my hand. <laughs> and um, it did kind of work, and it is it did have really creative. Um, I just, you know, wrote the whole album and uh, during that time and thought, well, I'm just going to think about this a little bit and um, <clears throat> do a little mm. research. And uh, there's a, a song on there called Doctor's Orders, okay. Medicinal Weed. And... Um, is that, and I got uh, permission. Was that your first time ever ha, ever having smoked weed, or had you done it when you were younger as, as a kid? Oh, no. You know, back in college, I smoked and I inhaled. Mm-hmm. And then I had my kids, and I didn't smoke or do anything. <laughs> and then, you know, later, they're kind of out of the house, and I'm like, well, you know. Uh, it didn't mm-hmm. seem to be, like, such a bad thing, so. Like, on my lot, birthday. Yeah, there's a lot of worse things that you can do. Uh, That's right. <laughs> and the album had ten original tunes, and uh, you also did a cover of like my all, one of my all-time favorite songs, "Little Wing," uh, yeah. that has been covered by a lot of people. And honestly, I, I haven't heard it, and I and I got to go out and I've got to I got to find it um, to, <laughs> to hear it because uh, I just you know to me I've done I've done things where I've I, when I was doing real ra- you know radio where I was playing music like take that song by every you know and play it like five different versions of it because there's oh, yeah. there's so ma- there are some key differences to the way certain people play it but in the yeah. end it's the same song uh, right i uh, love that song i've loved it forever yeah and i really had to get i was so thankful to get permission to get mm-hmm. put it on the album yeah yeah, that's that. I definitely want to hear that. Uh, which is closer to your heart, the blues roots or uh, the music and the and the, the more kid friendly stuff? Uh, the blues roots, yeah. It's, that's it's yeah, that's my favorite. I just feel like at home with that. Now, at this point in time, how much time do you get to spend on the road? Well, let's see. I just got home. I had a four or five day. I was in Ohio, then North Carolina, and then back. So, oh, boy, I do about 40 shows a year. Um, I do theaters. I just did the Newark Theater in uh, or Midland Theater in Newark, Ohio. Um, you, prefer the theater, you prefer the theater setting to uh, a club? Yeah, I like theaters and festivals, although I do some clubs around town because I have great players, and I want to keep them busy. And if I know somebody that has a venue and they want me to play, you know, it's always nice to have a steady gig at home because when I go away, I want to be, you know, always be um, ready to play. So it's nice to have something, you know, within an hour drive. Are most of your your, uh, tours, like you just described, they're all, you know, within – five days out or three days out, three days back sort of thing. We yeah. We hit a couple of clubs both ways. Yeah, years, yeah. So, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's the work best. I want to talk about your writing habits because you're so prolific. Um, do you have like hundreds of sheets of paper all around uh, with, <laughs> with little bits and pieces of lyrics on them? Are you one of those? You know um, I have a little notebook that's in my purse that I scribble down, like, ideas or thoughts. And then I have a, a bigger notebook that I have by my bed that they're blank. You know, they're uh, bound mm-hmm. books. Right, sure. And, uh, for example, I'll, I'll hear something or maybe read something or think of something, and, and I'll write it down like the bride showed her a tattoo. I write that down like, that is so cool. I've got to put that in the song. You know what I mean? So then when I go to writing, I've got all this fodder, you know, and and sometimes um, I can just pick from my book, and other times, like with the song Peaches, I wanted to write a song with the language, the vernacular that was used in the 20s and 30s, so I did a little research on um, uh, double entendre, and uh, tried to put as many of those in that song as possible that fit um, what I would Basically, mm-hmm. so. mm-hmm. sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, is it is it is it words first or is it music? You know, it's different. Sometimes it's words. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's both. Okay, it, it's yeah. different all the time. You said you said uh, when you're talking about your books, you said, and then when I sit down to write, I mean, are you that kind of a writer that can just sit down and just say, okay? Today, you know, mark on your calendar today at 10 o'clock until 2, I'm going to write. Uh, yeah. All right, really? Yeah, yeah. when I do that, I, I, I do. I used to write with kids. That's what I was part of my uh, job when I would go into schools. We'd have uh, songwriting workshops in the morning and then a performance in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I got, you know, I guess used to doing it. I just, and, you, know, you know, I don't think I could, I mean, I've never written anything even, you know, over years' time, I just can't imagine sitting down and saying, "Okay, I'm going to write a song today." Uh, that's that's just got to be so cool, you know, to be able to then just have it come out of you. Uh, and I guess you sort of answered this next question I had written down: Have you ever written a song uh, based upon a, a conversation you overheard in public? Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah. yeah, watch out. <laughs> watch <laughs> out what you say. <laughs> you can end up in my song. <laughs> yeah, be very, very careful. Um, uh, on this on this album, how much time did you do in pre-production? Oh, about six months. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah, it was the longest, uh, probably the longest pre-production than, of all of them. And... Was that because E.G. was producing it? Is that uh, yeah? It's yeah. because E.G. was producing it, and we were looking for and or writing uh, for the album. We had a specific idea in mind of what we wanted to go for with the with the album, and mm-hmm. um, some early influences and some uh, some new songs. And there are three E.G. Kai tunes on there. And when I was yes. going through her music, I told her. Her songs are so fabulous. I thought I could do a whole album of E.G. Kite tunes. Mm. You know, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, just, do, uh, you, you do know, a Memphis, you do you have uh, Call the Fire Wagon from Memphis Mini. Yeah. Uh, um, the title song is uh, by Britton Cameron, Sarah Beck, and Doug 
Kahan. Uh, you do a Candy Cane song. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, 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 it's a nice, it's a nice collection of different things. Uh, and, and as I yeah. said, you, know, you have three originals uh, uh, on the album. Um, now you guys didn't. Did, I was reading where when you uh, were in the studio, you you went in the control room and you worked out each song. So there was no pre-rehearsal with the, with the with the guys that you ended up recording with. It was just um, okay, guys. This is how I think the song is going to go, and you kind of played a little bit, and they all sort of worked. You all worked it together. Yeah, or I played the demo that I did. Um, mm-hmm. So we we wanted it fresh, so everybody kind of grooving on it, you know, all together, learning it and getting a feel for it and being excited about it. And I think uh, we really captured that excitement. Of, from every song on the album. Yes, it, 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 it's it's got a very live feel to it. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Paul Hornsby's Musky Dine Studios uh, in that's in Georgia. Yeah, he did a fantastic job. He did all the keyboards and the piano work. Uh, it was just a real thrill to work with him. Yeah, he's got it down. Yeah, he just he uh, kind of directed us all. It was great. Now that you, it seems that I think if I if I found looked at it correctly, you've had different producers for every album. You've never yeah. gone back to the same producer twice. Is that something that you're conscious of, or is that just the way you know the dice roll? I think it just that's just the way it worked out. Although um, I am, E.G. and I are talking about uh, her producing another album for me, so we're kind of uh, searching for songs again and uh, sing a whole lot more of her tunes. That's all there is to it. I just love them. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been so, writing um, writing for the album together, so. Yeah, just uh, there just seemed to be a, a, a real good connection um, between the two oh, from everything I could read and find out and listening to the music and the way you interpret her songs, there just definitely seemed to have been a connection. And I guess that's where my line of questioning was going. You, you know, will it be EG for the next one? And, uh, you yes, know, it is. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, we, we play some shows together when we can. That's a lot of fun. Oh, very cool. And it's great singing with her and playing with her. You know, I've learned from on some guitar work from her and, you know, just, I don't love singing with her. Uh, yeah. Um, is, you, you mentioned that you know you, you did a lot more pre-production with her. Was she also did your time in the studio? Was it organized differently than than in the past? Did you feel like this one was a little bit more of a cohesive situation? Well, yeah. She brought in the musicians. She she knew all these guys and uh, uh, brought them in and. Um, I didn't really have to worry about, you know, directing them at all. She would, you know, talk to them, and we would, you know, just go for the feel. And I was just, you know, one of the gang, basically. And mm-hmm. uh, she said, don't you worry about nothing. You just sing. Just sing. <laughs> I said, okay. Hey, so that was a lot of pressure off of me. It was really wonderful. I, I love the fact that you used the word directed in there because you were also directed recently. You branched out. You branched out uh, as an right. actress in uh, your film debut earlier this year in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's. Yeah, you know, you know, 
if you're going to debut in a movie, you know, why not just go with somebody like Francis Ford Coppola? I mean, you know, why pick that that young kid who's just trying to make his big break? Go for the gusto. Uh, Twix Now yeah. and Sunrise. It's a murder mystery based on uh, one of his short stories, and you play Lisa, uh, you portray uh, Ruth, the waitress. Yeah. And I understand your yeah. guitar. Your guitar appears in in the uh, in the movie too. So I guess you you singing. Yep, I just happened to the guitar is there, and I just happened to pick it up and sing. That specially made guitar with the uh, uh, falling star just happened yeah, to stand there. Yeah, it's a shooting star shooting parlor star. guitar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it just happened to be sitting there. Um, how did that all come about? <laughs> Well, I did a show in uh, North Carolina, and um, Coppola was in the audience, and we chatted afterwards and had a nice conne- connection. When I told him I was from Ohio, he sang, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why did I ever leave Ohio, you know, and I said, wait a minute, sing that again. He sang it again, and I sang harmony with him, <laughs> and then we kind of laughed, you know, and chatted a bit, and I had this funny feeling when, when uh we said goodbye, I had an odd feeling that I would see him again. Mm-hmm. And about a year and a half later, I got a call from his assistant asking if I would take his phone call. And uh, I said, uh, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he was talking about this uh, this uh, short story. Actually, he was talking about this dream that he had and that he it, he put it into a, wrote it, a script on it, and there was a part in it, and the, and the person sings, and he said, you know that song, Big Rock Candy Mountain? And I, I kind of, I know the name, but I didn't really know the song, but I lied and I said, oh, yeah, I know that. I, knew, I said, yeah, because I can learn a song in a minute. So I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that song. Big Rock said, Candy that Mountain. Song. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So that's a, that's about all I knew, just what you said there. Exactly, yeah, I'm not sure I could go any further than that myself, but yeah. Right. It, it rings true in my head. Right. So, uh, so where where'd you film? It was filmed in Napa Valley. We stayed at the uh, in the um at the uh, estate of his uh winery. Wow. And we okay. filmed in Napa Valley. It was really nice. Wow. How long did it how long were you uh, on set and filming? Well, say I went out there twice. The first time I was out there for uh, five days, and uh, the first night he brought us all into his, it's a mansion, and actually it was a dining room that was one of the godfathers were filmed in, that dining room. And he and his wife, Ellie, cooked for us, and it was so delicious. He made a simple antipasto and then had steaks on the grill, and we tried some of his favorite Coppola wine and chatted and and uh, it was wonderful. Oh, that that yeah, must have must have been, must have been. Yeah. I'm, uh, now, has that been released at this point? It has been released in Europe, and uh, I guess people in Paris are really loving it. Okay. Okay. And I think it's just it's a matter of time before it's uh, here. Um, he's you know he's an independent filmmaker, just like I'm sure. an independent musician. So. He's looking to get distribution. I, that's the last I heard. Yeah. But uh, okay. my, I just have to tell you, my acting partners were Val Kilmer and Don Novello and Elle Fanning. Nice. You roll. You roll. You roll heavy, girl. You roll heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah. Would you do it again? Yeah. 
Oh, heck yeah, I would do it again. It was fun. And and I would be better next time, you know. I had a lot of nerves going on, but I did see it. We went to the Toronto Film Festival, and uh, it's it's a very personal film for Coppola, and um, um, I think um, for an independent artistic film, it's really great. Excellent, excellent. Um, Are you involved in your local blues society? Yes, I am, the Cincinnati Blues Society. Okay. It's, I always like to ask that question. Um, uh, how many guitars do you own? Oh, God, I'm embarrassed. A lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot. More than 10? Yes. <laughs> less, than, less than 100? Yeah. Okay. Less than 50? Not... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, should stop, I should stop now? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Now, okay, but do you ever, I mean, do you play them all, or are there some that are, you know, from from way back when that you just, you know, they're part of your life and, you, and you, you know, you're you never going to get rid of them? Um, yeah, yeah, um, I have my favorites. I have about three that I really love playing. My little parlor guitar, and then I have a Larravee that I, I worked, played forever and ever and ever on. And um, I have a uh, Martin, uh, that Eric Clapton model. Mm-hmm. Acoustic. These are all acoustics. I only have one electric. Uh, no, I have a couple electrics. Anyway, but I really love acoustic guitars. Look in the back of the closet. There might be four or five back there. Too. Yeah, there are more. There's like banjo <laughs> guitars, and I have three accordions. You know, when I was in college, I was a music director for uh, a show called Circus Beckett. So I wrote the music for the show, and and Beckett is like waiting over and over. You think things over and over, like waiting for Godot. So I, I wrote the music and I played it the same uh, the same music three different ways, so it was like repetitive along with the. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have three accordions, you know. It's crazy. When when you're not playing or writing, what does Lisa do uh, for for a hobby? Well, I like to kick around out in the yard. We have 62 acres here, nice. and I keep. Uh, two miles of trails cleared and mowed and uh, have a little prairie and I've got some dogs, two dogs and some chickens and a cat. And uh, I like to, you know, visit with my friends and go to yoga and uh, goof off, you know. All things Lisa B. Alice can be found at www.lisabialice.com. That's L-I-S-A-B-I-A-L-E-S. And you can also find her on Facebook and on Twitter. She is at Lisa B. Alice. Um, talk to us about the song Come to Me. This is the other, the, your, your other uh, oh, original. What? Yeah, well, my husband took me on a cruise. Actually, it was kind of a, it was a surprise. He took me on the legendary rhythm and blues cruise. Uh-huh. And now we go, yeah, that was a while ago. Now we go on that every year. So we just sign up every year and go on the cruise. We have so much fun. And uh, one year our cabin boy's name was Numan, and he was from Indonesia. And it was his first cruise. He was really young. He was kind of, he reminded me of one of my kids. He was, you know, seemed awfully young. And and uh, I learned from him because he was so talkative that, he he was going to be on the boat for about nine months, and they don't ever get off. So when you get off, they're there working. Mm-hmm. And you don't know, don't know if you've ever taken a cruise, but when you leave the cabin, they're in there cleaning up, and then they're 
they're folding your towels into this big beach scene and it's on your bed, you know, you've got a crab, a lobster and you know, yeah. all kinds of they're a delightful, you know, monkey hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. So Newman, we got to know Newman and I was hugging him and he was really happy and but he seemed a little sad, you know, and so one day I said, So Newman, what uh, what's going on? You got a girlfriend at home? Oh, and here's the silly part. For some reason I thought maybe he liked me. And when I told my girlfriend that, she said, you're kidding. You thought he liked you? I'm like, hey, it's not out of the realm of possibility, you know. <laughs> She's like, wow. yeah, but he's so much younger than you. And I was like, okay, shut up, you know. Well, it was just okay. a thought that crossed my mind, you know. That's and we fine. Were friends. Yeah. yeah. It can happen. So, it can happen. Absolutely. So when I said, so, Newman, are you, you know, you miss, you got a girlfriend at home? You missed her? He goes, no, I miss my mother. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> And you remind me of her. <laughs> oh. So I guess once a mom, always a mom. I, uh, I was busted, busted big time. So. Well, well, you know, <laughs> hmm. missing was missing out. That's his. That's his. That's his loss. Um, at least I. <laughs> Oh, thanks so much. I, re- I really appreciate you coming on tonight. And uh, if you ever get down Memphis way, you know, please let me know. Um, you know, I'd love to come I out sure and see will. you live. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. We're gonna play uh, from the from the album "Just Like Honey," uh, Lisa B. Alice, and this is "Come to Me."
Lisa B. Alice from her album Just Like Honey and uh, the song Come To Me. Matthew Davidson is a four-year-old guitar sensation. John Vermilia from, uh, says that Step Up is a fantastic intro to a fantastic, very talented rising star. I have said for three years Matthew is a rising star to watch. Uh, check out his new debut EP, Step Up at www.matthewdavidson.com forward slash music, www.matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, Davidson, D-A-V-I-D-S-O-N, dot com forward slash music. I'm telling you, you're not going to be disappointed. Matthew uh, won the Robert Johnson uh, Generation Award last year, uh, and deservedly so. I uh, was able to catch him coming up on three years ago at the IBCs. So, uh, yeah, go check him out. Uh, now I'm happy to bring in my next guest uh, from up in Alaska, Mr. Doug Briney. Good evening, Doug. Thanks for taking a seat on the couch. Not a problem, Vinny. Thanks for having me on. Oh, great. Uh, Doug, where did you grow up? Actually, I grew up in Orange County, California. Uh, okay. My dad still, lives in, yeah, dad still lives in the same house that I grew up there. My sister and her family all live down there, and I got a lot of a lot of relatives that are all still in that area. And when you were a young boy in that house that your dad still lives in, what kind of music did your parents play? <laughs> dad played quite a bit of different things, but uh, you know the the music that I was drawn to was Eddie Arnold and and uh, uh, music along those lines. He he also played a lot of uh, Louis Armstrong, um, the Ink Spots. Um, but uh, the music I was drawn to more, uh, Little Cab Calloway and Eddie Arnold and, and, and those type of songs. Now, I read you had your first solo in church at the age of two. Do you, yes, even, rem- do you even remember it? No, I do not. Um, but thankfully, we have a reel-to-reel, uh, you know, the old reel-to-reel. Mm-hmm. Dad has that old reel-to-reel uh, recording of my first solo done in church. Wow. What uh, and what and what uh, did you solo on? Uh the the name of the song was called He. Uh just a nice gospel song uh called He and it, He can turn the tides and call me angry sea. Um I I just heard that song about uh 6 8 months ago. Uh someone else was singing it. Well, I sang along every word, knew every word. <laughs> Okay, so you start you start soloing at age two. I'm sure you continued singing in the church, and now you go to school and you, you're in grade school and you, you sort of get into the. Were you in chorus and 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 the like in grade school also? You know, I did uh, more uh, band instruments. I started playing trumpet in fifth grade or fourth grade. I, I about third or fourth grade. I'm, I started playing the trumpet and uh, uh-huh. played that. Uh, I did sing at the uh, at our church. I stayed active in the little children's choir and, and the youth choir growing up. But uh, I played trumpet all the way through uh, high school and, and was in the marching band and, and uh, did that. I did did my singing more at church and I did kind of the band instruments and learning uh, learning a guitar and learning uh, trumpet, baritone, uh, those type of things uh, more at school. Uh, did you did you do anything outside? Was there any you know bands outside of school, garage bands with your friends also during during junior high high school years? Yeah, we had we had a band in high school. Um, had a band in high school. We called ourselves the Checkers, and uh, you know we were 
it was just kind of a fun little jazz band that we put together. Uh, we had a couple trumpet players, keyboard, um, nice little uh, guitar player and, and bass. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of fun with that. We had, uh, it was quite a bit of fun, but we called ourselves the Checkers. The Checkers, very cool. The album yeah. is, uh, the album is It's All Country. Uh, yeah. It's, um, and I want you to talk to us about um, the song selection, uh, Second Chance. Now, this is uh, by Pat Kelly, Pat, Pat, uh, Second Dance, um, by Pat Kelly and Bucky Jones. Yeah, Second Dance is one of those great songs about life. Um, you know, there's so many people that, uh, uh, that are up in their years that uh, have been in love and had a sustained relationship throughout their, you know, adult life. And, and then for whatever reason, they lose that person, whether it's to death or whether it's to, uh, you know, uh, uh, sickness or whatever and, and you know they kind of feel alone and they don't want to be alone and uh they kind of get this chance for they get a chance for a second dance and that's what this that's what that song talks about it's it's a lot of fun uh to think about that and and to uh you know but it it, it is it's one of those songs about life and and, and some things that happen and gentleman uh, doesn't think he's ever going to find love again and and yet he he does he falls in love and he's nervous about giving her a ring and uh, but he knows his he knows his uh, first love would understand. She's gone, and and uh, he knows she would understand. So he he pursues that. And then from a female standpoint, you know she's she's been lied to so many times about different things, and and she's not too sure how it's going to go. But uh, she has this opportunity for a second dance. Doug Briney from the album "It's All Country," second dance.
album it's all country doug briney and uh second dance uh doug uh you graduated college, high school and um you had mentioned that you know most of your singing was in in church and you were playing a lot of instruments but you went to pacific coast baptist bible college as a vocal music major that's correct yep that's, sure did uh, so i mean obviously uh even though uh, you have been playing so many instruments, it was more the vocal that uh, you wanted to pursue? You know, yeah, it was. And then when, when you're looking at a lot of the church church music in your smaller churches, uh, you know, being a music director, um, music minister in, in the church, uh, you, most of the time you're, you're sing, leading the music than, more than you are uh, playing instruments. So it was a practical thing at that point, but it was, yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, the singing a lot more than than the instrumental at that point. Um, I, I was kind of getting tired of playing trumpet. My lips were sore all the time, and you know, so that it was you know it was just one of those things. But from a practical standpoint as well, uh, music ministers in church do a lot more singing than they do the uh, mm-hmm. the playing. Yeah, um, and you were all, you were during that time you were traveling uh, around singing with a gospel group. Uh, um, so you you were spending a lot of time doing that also during your college years. Uh, were you also finding time to go out and play uh, for you know your your own enjoyment in clubs and and the like? You know, at that time I didn't. Uh, it uh, I didn't. It was I traveled with that quartet um, through the college time and pretty much every weekend. And then during the summer, that was my full time job during the summertime. I was traveling, and and we were on tour all summer long, uh, toured all over the western half of the United States, and and, um, so that really was my job at that point, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It was was just a lot of fun. I enjoyed the group that I was with, uh, learned a lot about touring. I learned a lot about things, uh, mechanical things going wrong. If if anything can go wrong with the touring rig, it will go wrong. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, we learned how to to – change tires on the fly whenever 
you know, on the middle of the highway, whenever it's a hundred and some odd degrees outside and in, in, in Arizona is, and everything else. So it was just mm-hmm. a lot of fun. And, and that was the formative thing, but uh, no, I didn't get to do any outside gigging. It was all, all for college at that point. And was that, was, was the uh, quartet uh, associated with the college? Yeah, we sure oh, were. Okay. We were. It okay. was a, uh, it was, and that helped pay it for my college. I, I, touring around, uh, took care of my, uh, tuition, took care of my room and board and, uh, and took care of all of that. Well, that's great. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, because, you know, as you're describing it, I'm saying, well, geez, you could have been an, a student athlete. Um, yeah. and you know, it sort of seems like there was the same time commitment, uh, if you had been, uh, you know, doing Absolutely. what you were doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it was about the same time commitment. And at what point were you asked to sing with the San Diego Opera Chorus? Well, one of my vocal teachers, uh, one of the vocal uh, instructors that I had there, sang with the chorus down there uh, on a regular basis. He was actually a member of the chorus, and uh, we—they were short. They needed—they uh, needed some extra voices, and uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in doing that. I said absolutely, I'd love to do that. So I—I got to go down on two different uh, two different operas and, and sing with two different operas. Uh, down there filling in when they needed the extra voices, even though I wasn't a member of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the company itself, uh, through Charles Soames and his association, I was able to get in there. Oh, it's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I, I, you know, I, I had read you had done it, but I was trying to make a connection in my own mind, how you had gotten there. Okay. That's that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Um, that's how, yeah, that's yeah. how it was, it was, you know, it's, it's all about who, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, so now you graduate, uh, and you yeah. go into the, you go into the ministry and you're, um, you're leading worship and pastoring. Now, where, where were you doing that at this, when you first got out of school? We first got out of school. I went to a little town called Bath, Michigan, and, uh, we spent four years there in Bath, Michigan as a, uh, music and youth minister uh, at a small church there, and uh, that was very much full-time, and, and, uh, but uh, continued growing in my musical abilities. That I picked up the guitar, back, back up the guitar at that point, and started playing a lot more seriously at that point, um, uh, trying to teach myself a little bit more. I had to, definitely had the music theory background and, and the knowledge, so it was just getting my fingers to do what they were supposed to do. <laughs> And was um, it always country when you when you weren't when you weren't doing you know in church and was it always country? Yes, yeah, it absolutely was, absolutely was. Every every accompanist I've ever worked with has had a harder time following me because I, I you know, as I'm leading the worship and as I'm leading songs in church, they kind of come out with the twang. Um, <laughs> they come out a little country, and and uh, most of the. Most accompanists are used to to playing with folks with a rock background or a contemporary type background, and and um, so it takes a little shift on their part. But but I, I've been blessed over the years to have some great accompanists. <laughs> okay, so you're in you're in Michigan, and how did you end up in Alaska? Well, my father-in-law uh, came up to Alaska in uh, 1990 to start a church. And he started a church up in Eagle River, and we came up at Christmas time in '91 to visit and spend some time up here with him uh, over Christmas, and, and fell in love with the state, and then went back, and it was a whole weird scenario that took place. But uh, 
in June, we packed up everything we owned in a uh, trailer I built and uh, put it behind the uh, little uh, Chevy S10 Blazer, and, and we headed up the Alcan. And uh, we helped my father-in-law in that church for one year. Um, and during that time, uh, you know, I got involved with the chaplaincy and doing doing things with law enforcement and as far as uh, from a chaplain standpoint and helping out in the community and doing some things like that and also staying true to the country and listening to that. But uh, then we ended up after that first year helping out a church at called uh, Sunset Hills Baptist Church here in Anchorage. And I was there for 12 years as music and youth minister. And is still playing outside the church and still doing some gigs here and there? You know, I was at that time as whenever I really started doing more outside, uh, doing some things. Uh, I started getting in, playing with a, a group of bluegrassers. And, uh, you know, I mean, some of these guys that, uh, you know, they just sit around and, and we sit around and play. And uh, the first time I played with these guys, you know, they look over at you and they nod. Well, I'm a I'm a rhythm guitar player. I've never done lead, and mm-hmm. they nod at you, and that means take a solo. <laughs> and um, man, the first time I ever did that, I, I fumbled all over that keyboard, just terrible. And uh, the old guy sitting next to me when I finished up, you know, which was I mean, it was terrible. I, I can't even describe how bad it was. He looks over, smiles, he says, "That'll do." And they just kept on going, man. They just they never even broke. And uh, I played with those guys for a number of years and, and learned an awful lot and, and just really appreciation for bluegrass. And didn't get nervous the next time they nodded. Oh, no, I, I was scared to death the next time they nodded. <laughs> uh, I, I was scared to death the whole every time they ever nodded. I don't think I ever got over that. As a matter of fact, I was playing with a group of guys Friday night. Uh, we, we, have a, uh, we had a... Uh, Thing through our church called the gathering and it was just a bunch of musicians and we sat in this round robin type thing we were playing some bluegrass and some gospel um and, and just playing and and someone nodded to me and I, I i had that same fear went all the way through my body that it had that i had way back then and it was like oh and you know the first time around i fumbled that solo terrible you know and i i did redeem myself the second time around uh, I, I, I kind of had okay. That's enough of that. I'm, I'm not. I'm not at the stage that I used to be. I'm still not a lead guitar player, but I'm. I'm a lot better than what I used to be. So I took the solo and had a lot more fun with it that time. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's listen to another song from It's All Country. Uh, this is the song that leads off the album. Uh, Pat Kelly yeah. and Ed Levitt. Uh, more than yeah. just a farm. Uh, talk to us about this song and. You know, this is the very first song that I chose um, for this for this album. It was a long process selecting the songs, and the minute that I heard this song, I knew I wanted to, to record this song. Um, it really reminds me of my grandfather my, uh, and and his small farm there, and I got to spend my 13th year that summer with my grandfather working that farm. And so this is one of those songs that just hit me immediately, and it, it really reminds me of our grandfather and kind of learning life lessons on the backdrop of a farm. Doug Briney from the album It's All About Country and More Than Just a Farm. Face little guy came flying up the drive. Mom and daddy tagging right behind. City folk head to toe. Mama's fancy high heel broke at yeah, seen the door. 
country uh doug talk to us about the musicians on the album because um i don't have that information in front of me <laughs> well i don't have a whole lot of information on that myself i uh pat kelly uh i was able to uh, secure him as a writer and, and purchase the song rights from him uh he had those tracks recorded for me 
uh, those were all recorded down in Nashville, and I don't have any of the information oh, on really? who the musicians were. Yeah, I uh, he he just had those all taken care of down there for me, and and um, that was it. And uh, the other the other uh, tracks off the album were done the same way. I, I uh, sent those off down to, to uh, Nashville and had a, a company produce those for me, and so I didn't get any of the names of the musicians that were on the on there. That's interesting. That's uh, I don't think I've I've had th- that situation come about uh, yet. <laughs> I guess is that is that is that by nature you're being in Alaska. I I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, for me to get uh, for me to get the national quality musicians up here uh, would be very difficult. Um, uh, for me to go fly down and spend that time down in Nashville at that time, I was running my own business up here, and as well as pastoring, doing full time school, school, singing every every week, and and uh, I just uh, to get away and get down to Nashville for the time that it would take to do that live. Uh, I had that all done there. We uh, had the tracks all brought back up to Anchorage. Uh, had them all, of course, with the digital aspect of email and everything, and made it very easy. I uh, had all those tracks emailed out to me here. Uh, took those into the studio here, Mirror Studios, and uh, and then I laid down the vocals on top of the uh, tracks that were done. That's really that's okay. Well, I mean, I guess in some ways you could have all been in the same city, and the album could have been produced the same way anyway. Um, it, you know, exactly. in, in some instances, yeah, yeah. Um, after all all these years, I mean, you know, performing from I, I yeah. guess I could say from two years old. Um, you know, and and to touring with the with the you know the quartet and everything that you've done. Why did it take so long to release your first album? Well, you know, it was a dream of mine for probably the past twenty years. Uh, it, it, I shouldn't say probably. It was a dream of mine for the last twenty years, and I just the timing wasn't right. The the money wasn't there, um, and it, it I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it. I I had thought for years that it would be a gospel CD that I put out. Um, last year, about this time, uh, my wife was going to school right now as well. She's working on her master's degree, and, and we are talking about some different things. And I said, you know, one of these days I, gotta, I really want to do this, you know, one of these days and get this done. She looks at me, she says, you know what, just do it. Um, let's just do it. You're, you know, and if we've talked about it for 20 years. The timing is never going to be right. It's time. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of I took that to heart and, and said, you know what, she's absolutely right. If, I, I tell people all the time, you know, take, seize the opportunities. I've told my kids this. I have four children, told them this their entire lifetime. Never let an opportunity pass you by. Um, and and it's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and but I did. It, it was just the timing was right. Uh, and when I got listening to music and looking at really what I wanted to do instead of a gospel CD I put out I call it a positive country and a mm-hmm. positive country CD and you know but uh, I, I was really careful trying to select songs that, that related to where people were at in their life and, and uh, you know really taught some lessons and, and uh, I, they're still true to my faith and true to who I am but yet a lot of fun yeah no absolutely I mean yeah the the, the the strong faith comes through in the songs. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, you know, the song selection, there's, there's no doubt that, you know, there was a clear focus uh, from yeah. your standpoint in terms of that. Now, 
Talk about writing, Doug. Do you do any writing? Have you written music? Have you written your own songs? I have, and uh, they all stink. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, as a uh, music major in college, I, I did. I had to write a lot of songs, and uh, uh, it was really a lot of work for me. And I've written some through the years as well. Uh, uh, and and they, they, you know, I am just not a writer. That is not a gift that I was given. Um, now, I, I've talked with Pat Kelly, who is the key writer on on. Uh, you know the six of the songs that are on my CD there, yeah. um, and I've talked with him at times, and I've got some ideas for songs, and so we've talked about getting together at some point and me exchanging some ideas with him, so that then he could he could develop those ideas, and so we can kind of co-write together that way. I think I could do that. Mm-hmm. I get the melodies in my head. I can do the melody part. It's the lyrics that 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 just whip me. Um, which is strange because I, I I I feel like I'm a pretty good wordsmith when it comes to speaking and and talking because that's what I do every week and, uh, as a pastor. But I was getting yeah. it to rhyme, yeah, getting it to rhyme and to make sense in a song just doesn't seem to doesn't seem to flow. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, as you're saying it, I'm I'm saying to myself, yeah, but you know, here's someone who has to be a wordsmith, uh, but. Being a wordsmith doesn't mean you necessarily can write songs. I, I I write fiction, dark dark fiction that comes from somewhere inside of me, but it's you know it's it's there and uh, yeah. Uh, but I couldn't write a song if my life depended on it. So yeah, uh, you know, I, well, like I said, I have I've written a few songs, but boy, they're 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 pretty bad. Um, I had opportunity about ten years ago, a lady by the name of Anita Renfro. Uh, who's a phenomenal Christian writer and, and just Christian uh, uh, performer. Uh, she was up here, and I got to spend a lot of time with her. She does writing clinics all over the all over the place. And uh, I sat down with her, and, and she challenged me, okay, write a song. And, uh, you know, you got 24 hours, write, write a song. And, oh, man, I mean, I struggled, but, you know, I stayed up all night. I wrote the song, got it all set. I even recorded it, gave it to her the next day. And she, we listened to it where you're driving down the road, and and uh, and uh, her husband was in the car, a friend of mine was in the car. They're kind of tapping their toes. Oh, yeah, that's not bad. We get it, the song ends, and I says, "So, what do you think?" She says, "You're right. You're not a writer." <laughs> um, you know, it was, you know, it was just the brutal honesty. But you know, I, I mean, she she kind of picked it apart and and uh, told me what I needed to improve on, and and. Uh, uh, her husband and my buddy were sitting there and said, man, you are brutal. She says, no. She says, that's how you get better. You know, it's, yeah. I'm not doing it sure. to attack him. I'm doing it to be honest with him. And if he wants to be better, this is what he needs to know. And I, I totally got that. I understood it very much. Yeah, uh, yeah no, that, that's, yeah, it, you know, blowing smoke isn't going to help you. Uh, you know, no, I, you, people have to be honest with themselves about their strengths, about their gifts. Um, and I, I, I feel I'm pretty honest with myself about what I can do and what I do well and what I don't do well. And um, it doesn't mean that I don't aspire to do better in those areas that I, that I fall short in, but I recognize that that's probably never going to be my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can focus on what I can, if I can focus on what I, what I believe I do well, 
and develop that skill and continue honing that and working on my working on that craft and working on my presentation and 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 interacting with the crowd and and having fun with it so that the audience has a great time uh, man that that's 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 what I can do and and excel at so, yeah, you know, okay. I, and, and somebody else has yeah. got the talent to write songs, so you play their songs. That's you know, exactly. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah. certainly the, the the album has been noticed. Uh, you've been honored with right. nominations for the most promising new artist at the 2012 ICMA Independent Independent Country Music Association. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, Independent the ICMA Network. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, awards and uh, indie artist of the nominated for indie artist of the year at the 2013 Southern Star Awards. So someone's listening and yeah. uh, enjoying what they're hearing. Yeah. Uh, talk about yeah. when you found out about these honors coming in. Um, you know, did you have to sit down and just take a deep breath? Uh, when I first got the with the ICMA network, I, I thought it was a joke. Whenever I got the first email, um, I really did. I thought it was a joke. Uh, uh, yeah, right. Um, uh, I, it really um, it uh, it shook me to the core, but you know, not in a bad way. It just mm. I was just immediately dumbfounded and humbled. Uh, you hear people talk about all the time, it, you know, and the you know people that are well known and everything. You hear them talk of these words. What an honor it is to be nominated. Um, you know, thank you for the nomination, even if I didn't win. And you know, and you think, yeah, okay, I, but I. I I come away from that now with a completely different thing. It really is a tremendous honor uh, when your peers and when, when uh, professionals as well as the fans nominate you and then vote for you in these things. Uh, I, I, can't, um, I can't describe how humbling that was and, and, and what an honor I really felt it to be. Yeah. Now, uh, has, that, has the ICMAs been awarded uh, at, at this point? Yes, they were. They yeah, okay. uh, came out in June. Yeah, they okay. came out in June. I think I came in third out of uh, out of everyone for the uh, for the uh, nomination that I was up there for most promising new artist. Okay. I came in came in overall third. Okay, and then you still have this the, the uh, indie artist of the year at, uh, for the Southern Star Awards. Uh, that's Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. So. Uh, urge anyone who's listening, please get online and vote. <laughs> yeah, well, well, good, good luck with that. Good, absolutely good luck with that. Um, okay, so now, Doug, I've had guests who have gotten endorsement deals for amps and guitars and harmonicas and uh, pedal pedal devices and and boxes for pedal devices and and uh, slides and everything. But I think you're the first who's got an endorsement deal for a belt buckle. <laughs> yeah, it uh, that came about exotic. Uh, belt buckles and i'm taking the little line from their website it's exotic not erotic um exotic belt buckles stainless steel belt buckles and they have they've uh come on come on and endorsed me as an artist and uh uh offered me a chance to create my own belt buckle and um so we did and i, I spent some time working on that and uh sent them an email with what i was thinking uh, they shot back a couple proofs. We bounced back a couple different ideas, and and now we have a belt buckle I should have in my hands by the end of this week. That's uh, that's definitely very cool. Definitely very yeah. cool. Yeah, belt buckle. There you go. Um, uh, do you is this something that you th would like to get out on the road and take on the road? Uh, 
get move out of out of say Alaska, you know try to get out of Alaska and and take a, a show on the road at some point. Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, uh, this past summer, uh, uh, in August, ju- excuse me, July and August, end of July, beginning of August, I took uh, about two and a half, almost three weeks, and uh, took a motorcycle trip and and used one of the songs on the CD. It's called Let's Get Riding and. And I did a Let's Get Riding tour, and I rode my motorcycle from here all the way down to Southern California and then back. Um, was able to perform at several different venues along the way down there and, and uh, some radio interviews along the way uh, in the studios and, and uh, then came back. And so, yeah, we're, we're already planning to do some outside touring three and a half to four weeks straight next summer uh, just to, to be outside as well as... Uh, trying to get some things lined up for this winter to get out during the week and do some different touring. So absolutely, this is something we want to do is, is get out, not just be here in Alaska, but get outside of Alaska as well. Yeah, great, great. Um, I, I wrote this down, Doug. I, I'm not sure I want to ask you, but I just I feel compelled. Can you see Russia from your backyard? <laughs> uh, no, but no, but it's awfully close. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just, I had to. Um, you yeah. Know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all things Doug Briney can be found at com. That's D O U G B R I N E Y.com. Uh, Doug is also on Facebook and on Twitter. He is at Doug Briney, uh, and he's uh, much more prolific than I am. Um, I'm, I, I'm trying, but uh, I know Doug is uh, very big on Twitter, so check him out there. Uh, and uh, we're going to do one more song from It's All Country, and uh, this is uh, this is uh, not by this is one of the songs not by Pat Kelly. Uh, this is by Brett James and Tim Nichols, the man I want to want to be. Uh, talk about why you selected this song for the album. You know, this is one that uh, took a little longer time to select, but I love the sentiment of the song. Um, you know, we are try. I, I try to get better, and I try to be a better person in everything that I do and improve. And and uh, uh, the man I want to be is just this song says it all. I, I want to be that man that my family is proud of. That I want to be that man that my God is proud of, and I want to. Uh, you know, I want to be a better person. I think the song says it very well. Great, great. Doug, thanks so much. Good luck to you. Um, you know, please know that you've uh, always got a seat here on on the couch when, you, you know, you have a new album out down the line or you want to make a big announcement, please let us know. Uh, if you get down to Memphis at some point in time, let us know. We'll come out and uh, we'll check you out. Absolutely. Vinny, thank you so much for having me on. And again, I just want to say thank you to Michael Stover, my manager, for getting everything arranged for this. And I yeah. really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you. Great. This is uh, the album is it's all country. Uh, his name is Doug Briney, and this is the man I want to be. God, I'm down here on my knees Cause it's the last base left for Begging for another chance If there is any chance at all You might still be listening Loving and forgiving guys like me 
Doug Briney, and it's all country and the man I want to be. From South Carolina comes Cortez and the Killers with their self-titled album. It's chock full of straight-ahead blues infused with their signature sound. This album will make you a fan indeed. Check out all things Cortez and the Killers at www.reverbnation.com forward slash Cortez the Killers. Now I'm on this dog. Let's declare an International Blues Music Day. Hi, my name is Johnny Childs, blues musician and president of the New York City Blues Society. To support this great cause, please join our Facebook group called Petition to Declare an International Blues Music Day. Join the discussion and let's create a formal day to celebrate blues music. From its legends and pioneers in the U.S. to the continually evolving pool of modern-day blues artists around the world. Let's celebrate our love for this great American art form and bring more recognition and support to blues music for many generations to come. Find our Facebook group called Petition to Declare an International Blues Music Day. This is Johnny Child saying thank you for supporting the blues. And the official date for the first uh, International Blues Music Day is uh, 
August 3rd, 2013. So go check it out on Facebook. Uh, also helping to sponsor music on the couch is Dave Fields and his new album, Detonation. The album title is Justified as this album is ready to explode with some tasty music and vocals. Check out the album and all things Dave Fields at www.davefields.com. And now, from the west coast of the U.S. of A., up San Francisco, where I'm thrilled to bring in Ms. Paula Harris. Evening, Paula, and thanks for coming and sitting on the couch. Oh, it's my pleasure. Paula, where did you grow up? Clemson, South Carolina. Oh, there it is. You can hear it in the voice. Can you hear the draw? <laughs> I can hear the draw. It comes out. Yeah, there it is. Uh, <laughs> when, you, when you were relaxed, what, what kind of music did mom and dad play in the house? Oh, Etta James, Ray Charles, The Temptations, The Tams, The Tops, Della Reese. Um, <laughs> my dad had a really good taste in music. <laughs> yeah, it was just, I just can't imagine where you got your your inspirations from. Um, All I have to say is thank God he could have been listening to something much worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, when did you begin singing? When I was six. I used to pull up a, a spoon or a brush for a microphone and my poor parents friends they got treated to a concert complete with choreography every time they came over <laughs> it's a miracle we could get anybody to come over <laughs> you had uh you had a favorite song you used to like to do back then right oh i knew every song off the helen ready i am woman album <laughs> can you imagine a six-year-old singing i am woman and i also <laughs> loved ray charles hit the road jack Oh, there you go. Is that is that the end of the night? Your mom and dad kind of give you a little signal with a dollar bill, and you started singing "Hit the Road Jack" when they wanted the, the company to leave. No, they were usually tucking me in bed to get me to leave, <laughs> so they could have adult time. Yeah. So, so, did you take vocal lessons? I did. I got really lucky. Um, my high school chorus teacher, Emmeline Fry, was uh, she was a singer, a, a, an opera singer from New York. And uh, she had a, a really budding career after graduating from the Manhattan School of Music. And then she decided to give her career up and teach chorus. And she ended up in little, a little backwoods town called Clemson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she, and so uh, she heard me when I was 12 and took me under her wing and pretty much said that if I would listen to her and learn how to do classical phrasing and proper support, that I could sing anything I wanted for as long as I wanted, and I would never hurt my voice. And so I'm very grateful that she discovered me. Were you um, singing in? You were doing singing in junior high school and high school choirs and choruses and the like. You're also doing anything outside uh, singing, you know, with some friends and bands and the like. I didn't really sing when I was in high school and chorus. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, junior high, I didn't. But once I got into college and I didn't have my I guess my spotlight fix, I started doing, I shouldn't say this, but I did. I started doing beauty pageants <laughs> that had the ones that had the talent competition uh-huh. so that I could have my, my 15 minutes of glory every once in a while. So you were there You were there just for the singing competition part? Oh, yeah. I hated the swimsuit part of it. <laughs> dressing up in an evening gown was great, but the talent was definitely why I was there. Yeah, Too bad we see, didn't have American Idol back then, huh? Yeah, yeah, and, and the voice. Uh, you know, an X Factor, yeah. An X Factor. So, 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 you know, I think I think one of the purest to me is the voice because it, it, it's it's about the voice and it doesn't matter what you look like. So, uh, I would have to totally agree with that, and I also usually pretty much agree with uh, 
you know, the judges' choices and what they, the feedback that they give those contestants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's listen to a song from the new album. Uh, sure. The uh, title track. Turn All right. Up. Talk to us about this song. Um, this song was one of those things that I wanted to use the word naughty, and then I was trying to think of words that round with naughty, and um, the chorus came, and then as I was writing the verses, I was just feeling deliciously naughty myself, and especially that line on the third verse about, can you see me on your sheets just like a cat in heat? I must have giggled to myself an hour after I wrote that, and then I was like, would I ever have the courage to sing this in front of anybody? <laughs> well, here I am. <laughs> there you are. Paula Harris turning on the naughty, and this is the title track. Turn me on 
real careful about because I end up with my eyes closed and my head back, and I'm just <laughs> digging on the music, and I'm like, wait, okay, it's coming to an end. Yeah, you have to do something now. What was it again? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're talking to you Paula. You have to talk to the person who's singing it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so now, when you're in high school at this point, I mean, basically you're thinking your career is going to be more in the um, singing in the symphony and more classically trained, correct? No, not at all. I mean, no? I, I, I I never really pursued that. I was working at an at an Opry, actually, you know, um, a country music and variety show, and you can guess who the variety was. But um, I did a couple of fundraisers in Myrtle Beach, which was the area that I was in at the time, and um, the guy that ran the Long Beach Symphony heard me and asked me to sit in with him. And he he had no idea that I sang classical music, and he handed me this version of Sandy Patty's Star Spangled Banner, which is very operatic. And once he gave it to me, I looked at him and I said, um, what would make you think that I could sing this? Because, you know, everything he had heard me sing was pop up until then. And, mm-hmm. and he said, oh, I didn't even think about it. That Can you sing it? And I said, well, actually, yeah, it's one of my favorite songs, but <laughs> I just wondered how you knew that I could sing it. <laughs> it sort of made it work. Uh, yeah, you also... But, yeah, um, the symphony... I'm sorry, what? Go ahead, no, no, both. Please tell us. Now, what I was going to say is the symphony stuff kind of fell into my lap. When I moved to um, Atlanta and I was working with William Bell, he introduced me to Albert Coleman, who ran the Atlanta Pop Symphony. And so I started doing work with them because of William Bell. So, I mean, that was never really anything that I went after, but um, it sure was a nice thing to be able to experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, when, you, when you're looking through your bio information, you're, you know, reading stuff, it just... It, it so seemed like that was such a important part of your uh, musical life. Um, that, yeah, it'll that certainly get you hooked on working with live musicians for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, you, you were, but you were also doing uh, other things, uh, singing others, singing the blues, and uh, doing some jazz and the like at that point. Yeah, I've always done a mix of of stuff. Blue, I mean, I grew up listening to such blues and you know Little Milton and that kind of stuff. Um, although I have to be careful what I call blues because what they define the blues on the West Coast as being is very different than what they define the blues as being on in South Carolina where I grew up. Hmm. But um, we grew up listening to the Stax Vault sound, and that was uh, definitely a huge influence on me. And um, you know, I'm I'm just grateful that I, like I said, I'm grateful that I had parents who had such good taste in music, and they helped form my little brain the way that they did. <laughs> I, you know, to me, there's a bit very big umbrella for, for the blues. You know, I mean, you've got you know you've got deep blues now. Um, you know, guys from the West Coast like the Mighty Mojo Prophets and you know the like that are doing that. You know, I think it all falls under the same umbrella. It's just. Uh, I mean, I guess in some ways, some there might be some people who listen to that and say, "Well, that's not the blues," you know, turning on the naughty, and they might say that that's not the blues. But you know, I, I just don't I think you have to you have to you have to look at it with a with an open eye. You mentioned going to Atlanta and um, signing with William Bell. Um, how did that all come about? Um, I was singing at the Opry, and oh, okay. uh, this man named Harry Turner was writing a book about the history of beach music, which beach music in South Carolina is um, its all a series of music that was a lot of classic R&B that has a beat that makes it suitable for doing the state dance, which is the shag. And for those of you that aren't from South Carolina and are more from England, no, it's not what you think it is. <laughs> it's an actual dance that's very much a similar derivative from, like, the West Coast swing 
Step that was real big in the 60s. Okay, yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, that that is what I grew up listening to, and Harry was writing a history on it. And when he heard me singing at the Opry, I was doing some of that classic music, you know, that Stax Volt sound, and he called William. And so William told me to come to Atlanta to meet him, and I did. And uh, he's a very nice man, and we got along great. And so I moved to Atlanta to work with William Bell. And he said he said that you have one of the finest modern blues voices around, and that your phrasing is impeccable. Isn't that uh, sweet of him? Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very sweet. You spent five years uh, working with him. Um, must have learned a whole lot in those five years. I did, and you know what was really funny is, and he would laugh if he heard this because um, I was very hard headed when I worked with him and we butted heads a lot because I was too busy trying to be Patty LaBelle and he was trying to make me be, you know, Smokey Robinson. <laughs> but what I learned is that he actually does have a lot of wisdom. <laughs> and I probably could have saved myself 15 years of banging my head against the wall had I listened to him at the time. Yeah. Well, we all have somebody like that in our lives that we look back and say, yeah, we could have, mm -hmm. yeah, it would have been a lot easier. Um, he and I just laugh about that now when we talk. What made you then move to San Francisco? I got married. Oh, okay. That's a damn good reason. Damn yeah, good reason I to go thought three, so. 3,300 miles or whatever it was. Um, uh, damn your That's a hell of a man, what can I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yes, um, baby, I'm talking about you. <laughs> Damn Your Eyes is another song from Turning on the Naughty. Uh, talk about, talk, tell us a little bit about Damn Your Eyes and where this all came from. That one is real. Um, when we were doing the finals at Biscuits and Blues here, you know, to, to see who would mm -hmm. represent the Golden Gate Blues Society to go to Memphis, Sister Monica Parker was one of the judges. And uh, she came up to me after we won, and she said, when you go to Memphis, you need to do an Etta James tune. And she said, and I'm not talking about it last. And so we started thinking about it, and Terry Hyatt, who is my blues guru in the band, um, about two weeks later he called me up and said, I, I think you need to really listen to this song and, and think about what Sister Monica said. And so I listened to the song, and I fell in love with it, and we recorded it. Yeah, and it's uh, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Paula Harris from Turning on the Naughty and, Naughty and Damn Your Eyes. Making me 
you never do I believe all your lies I look in your eyes And they all seem true I guess I see what I want to see Maybe my heart's deceiving me But with that look I know so well I'm right back Demar Martin on drums, Terry Hyatt, as you mentioned, on guitar, Joey Fabian on bass and background vocals, Simon Russell plays piano, Rhodes, and background vocals, and the badass brass is Mike Riata on trombone, Tom Poole on trumpet, and Tony Peoples on tenor sax. 
That's well, my band that I work yeah. with now is Mike Renta and Tony Peoples and Tom Poole, but on the album it's Mick Gillette and Tom Pollitzer from Tower of Power oh, and okay. Tom Poole. Okay, okay, yeah. You got, I got it digitally. I didn't get all the all the liner notes, so I wasn't. I know. I should have sent you the credits panel. Yeah, it's okay. Um, yeah, just I, I just love it. And uh, did you find Derek at uh, the IBCs last year? Because I know he was here too. <laughs> Actually, no, I didn't. Um, he came to hear me at the very first round of the competition. Uh, last year, but I was competing with a drummer who, um, unlike most musicians, has a day job. <laughs> so he couldn't go on the road with us. And when I heard Derek, he was such a good fit, so he became the drummer. Yeah, he's uh, he's, he's wonderful. He's, uh, I'm so uh, proud of my band. Uh, every time I work with them, I just could burst. I'm so this proud and excited to be able to have such a, a group of musicians like that. It's really humbling. You um. You know, it's funny when I'm when I'm doing research, I see as many interviews with you in jazz publications as I do in blues publications. Um, the the line you really blur the line uh, with your uh, the way you sing and your interpretation of music, uh, whether it's covers or your originals. Um, is that by design? Well, I think that everybody is. It's. I've always told people that you have the people who came before you to show you what they knew. And it's your responsibility as an artist to take all of those people and combine them into one new set of knowledge, which is what you know. And because I grew up listening to such a wide variety of artists from different genres, it's only natural that, that my music reflect that variety. And we also had a secondary motive, because I know that a lot of people stress keeping the blues alive through preservation. But we decided that we wanted to make our contribution to keeping the blues alive by allowing it to morph into something that not only would please blues lovers today, but that also could possibly appeal to a wider demographic of people who might like other genres and, and a younger generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, I had that, I had a very similar conversation with Victor Wainwright recently. Um, uh, he was doing a gig here in town and he said, you know, I could, I could have had a lot of, you know, my buddies come out and play, he said, but I, you know, he went out and he specifically asked a few of the younger kids who aren't really blues musicians to come out and play with them. And he's slowly turning them into people, guys who want to play the blues. And because they're playing out of the club, their friends come and they're exposed to the music. So it's, you know, it's sort of a sneaky way to get the younger generation involved in the blues. Uh, I'll have to pat Victor on the back when I meet him. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, doing doing research, you find some incredible quotes uh, by people um, about you. Uh, Lou Rawls described you as a vanilla coating on a chocolate soul. And, yes. the, and the one I love, Ray Charles asked if you were black or white, um, which I guess <laughs> is, 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 is an incredible compliment. Um, you know, uh, what does that do? Well, had I known that Lou Rawls was in the room when I was singing, I probably would have passed out. But he, it was a long, skinny little piano bar, and I was just working with just a single piano player. And I, he was in town doing a show at a big um, a theater near us. And I guess he came in, you know, after he did his show, and he was sitting at the very back of the room, and I had no idea he was there. And when we finished our set, he walked forward, and I was looking at him going, I know this man. And then when he opened his mouth and he said, 
darling, what's your name? And I said, Paula. And he said, you ain't nothing but a vanilla coating on a chocolate soul. I was like, oh, my God, you're Lou Rawls. <laughs> and he was like, yes, I am. And I said, can I use that for publicity? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and when, when, when was it that you met uh, Ray Charles? Um, we were doing some, I was do, there again, I was doing some other shows, and I was working for the Opry, and uh, and uh, he, he we were, I was opening for him, <laughs> and he heard me do my sound check and asked me, uh, are you black or white? And I said, well, I've got blonde hair and green eyes, what do you think? And he said, I'm going to ask you again, are you black or white? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, blonde hair and green eyes. Well, you know, me and me and Claire all had a really close reputation there for about ten years, okay, and I decided right. it's it's wrong to argue with God. He knew what he was doing when he assigned hair colors, at least in my case. Well, you know, especially with the green eyes. Um, but I think that's just have another conversation when I start going gray. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, at eighteen that happened. So I just decided that's the color God wanted me to have. But so. on men, it's distinguished. On women, it looks old. Well. In some instances, I don't know. I mean, I guess it, as you get older, it doesn't, though. And my my well, 85-year-old aunt is very distinguished with her white hair. But. I haven't seen her, but I saw you at the IBC, and you were very distinguished. <laughs> well, I thank you, darling. Thank so it you. must that's, run in the family. That's that's, that's where we met. Um, yeah, yeah, actually, I actually met you upstairs at the Rum Boogie before I saw you pl- actually sing, because I never saw anybody until the finals. Um one of the disadvantages of doing the shows uh, is that I never get to see any of the competitors. Uh, but um, you, you had a great 2012. You, went, you won the Battle of the Bands uh, for the Golden Gate Blues Society uh, and you, the Monterey Blues Festival's Battle of the Bands, and you finished in the top three in Memphis. Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> that was, uh, it had to be a special week for you. This this that was a just the beginning. This whole year has just been one of those things that um when you think about it like, you know, I set goals uh last year and I said, Well, you know, I'd like to do this and we won that one and I said and I'd like to do this and we won that one and <laughs> and it just kept going and there comes a point when you just have to you know, for me, I remember flying into Memphis and I was adrenaline rush and real nervous and and I opened up the window, and I looked down, and I could see all the lights of Memphis below me. And I just felt this calm wash over me. And I said, okay, I'm just going to do the best that I can do. And whatever God has in store for me, that's fine by me. But all I ask is that, you know, you just keep this peaceful feeling with me and allow me to do the best that I can do. And, and I'm just grateful that that feeling stayed with me, and we've been blessed the way that we have. Yeah. It's, uh, was that your first time in Memphis? It was. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, yes, you met you third place. But if you had walked away and hadn't gotten to the Orpheum, was it still a successful trip? I think so because after the um, the semifinal round at the Superior, mm-hmm. um, musicians can tell you that there are very few times in your life when what you rehearse and what you imagine in your head actually equal the actual performance. And when I finished our perform, when we all finished our performance at the semifinal round, that was one of the top three best sets that I think I've ever delivered in my entire 25 years of performing. 
And so, you know, I, I knew that I had done my best, my band had played their best, and I was totally at peace with whatever happened. And, you know, then Jeremiah Johnson got up right behind us, and, and Jeremiah was everything that I was afraid of because I said, you know, we've got strong vocals, we've got strong instrumentals, and it's going to take a band who's got a strong vocalist and more instruments that are all good <laughs> and who 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 does all original material. And that's exactly what he was. And so I had kind of accepted in my mind that Jeremiah was going to be the band to go through from from our venue. And when he wasn't, I mean, (laughs) when they called my name, I just remember kind of putting my head down between my legs and trying not to hyperventilate. And everybody around me was just screaming, and this bedlam was just breaking loose. And and it was just such a surreal moment because, you know, it's, it's amazing. You can be your own worst enemy from within. Mm-hmm. If if you don't watch it, and you know, and and not to detract from Jeremiah, he knows I love him. We've been in contact since then. But had he won, I would have been totally, totally okay with that because I think they're a fabulous band. And when you get to that level at the semifinals, you're all great bands. Seriously, yeah. you really are. Yeah, I know. It's it's you know, so many people come out of it and say, you know, yeah, okay, I didn't win, but you know. Look at all the contacts and look at all the people I met. Now I'm, you know, now I, you know, I talked to four people, you know, four presidents of blues societies who, you know, said, you know, they'll set up gigs for me. And I, I was, you know, looking at a map and I can do this. And it's, you know, this perfect route on on the road. So, uh, you know, that's that's really the the great thing about it. Um, uh, well, I, I'd like week. to qualify. A lot of people said, oh, you know, you got into the top four or five or whatever and so all these doors open for you but if you look back at the history there have been some people who who won the ibc who just kind of dropped off the face of the map and then there have been some people who came in second or third or even who were just in the top 10 and their career has taken off so to elaborate on what you said the ibc is what you make of it and if you're willing to work hard and and like take everything that's given to you and expand on it then it can be anything you want it to be and yeah, and and if you if you want to know what it is all about and and how to deal with it and what you need to be uh, uh, ready for when you come to Memphis, you need to find Paula's article uh, that she wrote. Um, it's, it's just it's brilliant. I mean, it really is. I mean, that's why we grabbed it. You know, I, I grabbed it. You know, for for our our newsletter here in Memphis. Um, I just think it. I think it's it, it's a it's a handbook. Uh, I think the oh, Blues Foundation you. should give it out. You know, I mean, you know, I, uh, actually they put it on the Blues um, Blues dot org website under the IBC tab. Somebody told me um, I, I wrote that for friends of mine that were competing this year, mm-hmm. and you know, and it turned it kept turning into these like hour long phone conversations when these bands would call me and ask me about it, and so I finally said, you know what, I'm just gonna put it all down on paper and give it to Deb Lubin who does the Golden Gate Grooves. Um, newsletter and let her just print it and I had no idea that that it would be received the way that it has I mean that blew my mind that's um now I'm going to ask you Paul um you know third place finisher um when you got the judges cards were there a lot of comments or was it just scores it was pretty much just scores and we had really really high scores like nines and tens and one judge gave us he gave the band uh, sixes all the way down the board, and he gave me a five vocally, and I was kind of like, "Ouch!" But you know, you just—if six out of the seven judges like me, I, I'm okay with that because you can't please everybody all the time. No, but would it, don't you think it would help if there was a comment there? 
You know what I'm um, saying? I, 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 this is something I know. How, that do you, how do you explain that? I mean, if you give a band who, you know, all sixes, and then you give the front person who's a vocalist a five, I mean, that that pretty much speaks for itself what they yeah. thought about us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I mean, I've had other people say, you know, I got we got an eight, we got, a, we got a, an eight, a nine, and a two. And, you know, we couldn't understand where the two came from. Well, I mean, uh, there was one band in the uh, one of the one of the judges in our, uh, I think it was yeah, it was at Rum Boogie this the second night. He he was talking to uh, one of my band members and he didn't realize that he was talking to one of my band members and he was just raving about another group that was that we were competing against. And um, you know, so when we got our scores back and I saw that our scores were really low from that one from one judge. I knew which judge it was, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like it, people are people, and they all have an opinion, and they're all entitled to their opinion. And humans are humans, you know. And and, yeah. and like I said in my article, uh, uh, what the the scores that a panel of judges give you that night is just the mood that they're in, and that same panel may give a totally different set of scores the next night. And so there's no reason to get bitter over mm-hmm. somebody not giving you a perfect ten. And and I think a lot of musicians. If they don't get a perfect 10, they get offended. But for me, when I was looking at those scores, I could see a trend all the way through, all levels of competition. There were some things that we were consistently one point lower in, and those were the things that we really focused on when we were planning out our stage shows now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, like originality was one of the things. I've really been working to learn new music. Um, the You know, the instrumental part of the band, I don't think that they were – telling me that the instrumentals were not good, I think they were telling me that they didn't get to see enough of them. So I really try to showcase my band a lot more now, and I learned that from those scorecards. So I'm grateful that they give them to us. Yeah, that, 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 that's really interesting. Now, and, and I think the scorecards are great, and, and, you know, I understand, you know, every, you know, on any given night, for whatever reason, someone's not going to be or hear the same thing that they think they should hear. Um, and, you know, you were talking before about you know American Idol and and and, and all of those shows. I mean, you've heard the judges come back and say, you know, I went back and I listened to the tape and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was live. So you know, those things happen. Um, I, my, I guess the little thing that I that I keep hearing and to me, if there's a place for comments, I think you tr- should try to at least write something down when you're giving a score lower than. Maybe you know uh, when you're getting into those fives and sixes. Would have <laughs> I liked think, to have seen, I think all would comments would be seen. appreciated from from the contestants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you had the opportunity to share a stage with one musician alive today, who would it be? One musician who's alive today. Yeah. Curtis Salgado. Love Curtis Salgado. I, I know I should probably say you know somebody who's. More legendary and iconic, but he's just one no. of those guys who who I get what he's doing, and mm-hmm. I respect what he's doing, and I think that what he's doing meshes with what we're doing, and so I I think we'd have a musical chemistry, and I'd love to share a stage with him. There you go. Okay. Well, hopefully somebody will hear that and let them, let him know. Um, is there a stage that you haven't had the chance to play that you you really would love to target as a must do? The Levitt Shell in Memphis. Yeah, I, I saw something about that. Um, was there something to be determined on your website? Well, Annie Pitts was trying to get us there in October, 
And um, the, like I said, after Memphis, we were going through some transitions in the band with new members, and we added the horns. And so then we made all of our so- songs are now arranged around having horns. And so mm-hmm. a, a lot of people expect blues bands to just be like, you know, three or four people that can come in and just jam. Right. And, and we deliberately made our music more complex and a little, I guess, um, you know, we wanted to go back to the to the days when blues was like the Etta James, Lou Rawls, Ray Charles big band orchestras, you know, a little bit mm-hmm. more dressed up kind of thing. And so um, when I told Annie that we were <laughs> we were adding in horns and all this stuff, she said, oh, I think we need to raise more money. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I've got my fingers crossed that everything will work out, and maybe in the spring we can be there. Yeah, I, I saw I saw it on, on your website. It said like May. Uh, I was just wondering. Uh, you're also trying to think about around the B- time of the BMAs. Oh, that would be lovely. Uh, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna put that in in words. <laughs> you know what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I saw where you have a you have a Yorkie. I do. Well, I. I have a three-pound fur baby who doesn't realize that she's not right. human. Right. Does she does does she travel with you? She does. She does. Okay. You got your little little carry-on case when you have to get on an airplane and take her with you and everything. It looks she, like a purse. It's got mesh on yeah. both ends, and she just goes under the seat in front of me. She uh she hanging out backstage while you're performing. She does, although. <laughs> She's gone blind now because she's old, and so I've been trying to protect her from loud environments because it'd be terrible if she went deaf too. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, my my wife just got a uh, papillon, which is a little small dog, and it's, it's like carry him everywhere. No, honey, we can't. So I have to ask: Have, have mm-hmm. you admitted that it's wormed its way into your heart yet, or are you still going to be macho about it? Oh no, 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 no! It's got nothing to do. I've tried. The dog. It's a, it's a rescue dog, and he just wants nothing to do with me when she's not around. Oh, I'm so sorry, but that's sweet uh, you know, that you saved him. I've gone, I've gone through, I've gone through this twice. Um, I, my first marriage, we had a rescue dog, which was a actually a golden lab pit mix, uh, much more golden lab than pit. Um, and uh, he he wouldn't come near me for about a year and a half. And then, well, I think you can probably win over the little pap. Yeah, if you we'll, have we'll, enough time and patience. Yeah, it's only been about four months, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, he's, he's he's fine. I just was like, her 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 youngest son is about to leave the house. It's like, do we really want something else to have to take care of so we can't just go? <laughs> well, but honey, he's small. He can come with us anywhere. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. You, you sound like so many of my friends. <laughs> Well, it's my it's my second marriage, so it's sort of like you know I'm looking to now just try to enjoy that part of my life. Um, what's on your calendar coming up that you're really looking forward to? Ah, uh, we've got some shows at Biscuits and Blues, which um, one of my goals last year was not only to was was just to play Biscuits and Blues, but then once we played there, it was to sell out two shows, which we did the last time we were there in August, and so we're back again on October sixth, and then. Um, we're getting ready to do some shows up in the peninsula and you know I'm just we're we're basically getting our show really tight. We're working on uh like transitions. We don't just want to do a song and stop and a song and stop. We're working on the segues between the songs and we're we're making like charted little things that go between one song and another one so that the show is just 
it never stops and it's just a dynamic thing to watch and then I've worn the horns the next thing they're going to have to do is learn how to dance <laughs> <laughs> so we want to step, put on step. a show not just a concert yeah. Step, step, twirl. Step, step, twirl. I don't step, know if I'll make them twirl. They might rebel at that, <laughs> especially Tom Poole. <laughs> uh, maybe a bow here and there, you know, a forward, forward lunge or something. Yeah, okay. I'm thinking maybe they can just make the horns sway back and forth at the same time, you know, with the bells of the horns. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it, yeah. It looks so good on stage. Start, start small and work your way up, Paul. I have a feeling you'll have them twirling real soon. Um <laughs> I just want to mention um, that I am off next week. Uh, I'm leaving on vacation tomorrow morning. Yay. Uh, heading off to New York. Um, I'll be back in two weeks with Amy Hart, uh, Stacey Jones Band, and new music from Tommy Talton uh, the day before it drops. So I'm real excited Tommy's coming back. Uh, and, of course, we're also going to get uh, our Blues 411 report with Chef Jimmy because it's the uh, first Monday of the month. So he'll uh, come back and... Uh, Give us the uh, report for. Tell Jimmy I said thanks for that great review. Yeah, he did. He did. A, he did like love the album. I saw the review. Uh, he and I actually were talking about it right before he published it. We were on the phone, and he said we were talking about you because he had said, "Oh, you know, I'm just about to drop, do something with her album." And actually, the other two albums he reviewed, I've got those people coming up in the next couple of weeks. So we're sort of tra- traveling on the same highway right now. He and I. Uh, it's a he good highway met- to be on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he also mentioned, you know, he talked about the. You know, I, I know the inside story about the car comment uh, on Facebook. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I know people. Some people were writing me private messages on Facebook saying, "What is this about you, <laughs> Jimmy?" I said, "Oh, well, you know, he it's so expensive to park in San Francisco, and he was down there in, a, in like right in the center of downtown where you're never going to find a parking space. And so I just pulled into the driveway of the hotel that he was at, and we sat in the car and talked for like an hour. And yeah, he, he said I was getting in the car for five minutes because we, I guess you had talked about maybe having lunch and there wasn't time. He says, I got in the car for like five minutes, he says, and all of a sudden it's an hour and ten minutes later, and we're still sitting there in the driveway. <laughs> And I, like we like we'd been friends for thirty years. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 easy like that. But uh, yeah. um, you guys gonna come? You guys gonna come back in uh, for Febu- in February at all? You can you think you're gonna come back to to hang out for the IBCs? That is up in the in the air right now. Um, I've actually got some friends in Memphis now who have invited me, but it's gonna depend with what we're what we've got as far as shows and stuff are concerned. Okay. Well, if it's not in so, February, but I would love to. I, um, I think uh, I think the bands that we have. I told everybody I wrote on my website. I said the bands that are coming to the IBC better get ready because there's going to be a dogfight at the finals here to see who's representing the Bay Area this year. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. And do me a favor and make sure that they all send me an email. Uh, 2013 IBC at Music on the Couch, just so I get I get their information so I can reach out to them like I did you last year. Um, I will. I will I definitely that. do that. Yeah, yeah. So um, I know the names are, they're starting to register now. I was over at the Blues Foundation the other day, uh, dropping off some posters for the benefit where I'm holding uh, here, October 10th. Uh, we have Bernie Pearl coming to play uh, his first gig ever on on Beale Street at uh, the Blues Hall. Um, Rum Boogie and I are sponsoring the gig. It's uh, all every penny we raise is going to go to the uh, Blues Hall of Fame that night. So fabulous. Yeah, that'd be very cool. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Bernie. Uh uh really dig him. Um 
All things Paula Harris can be found at www.paulaharrismusic.com. She's also on Facebook, and her Twitter handle is uh, at Paula Sings Blues. So you can check her out on Twitter also. Um, talk about um, I Play Dirty. <laughs> can you see a theme in my album? <laughs> I, uh, there's no, no doubt a theme in your album. I just, I just the whole <laughs> the whole thing is just is phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, it's just it's just such a fun album to play. Wow. Well, I play I play Dirty is a, a Little Milton song that I've always loved, and I have never heard anybody else do that song live. Although Bob Margolin told me that he he had done that song live, but I've never heard him do it. But um, I, I basically brought it in, and we gave you know the drum we we put the the rhythm tracks down before the horns came in, and so we left a lot of space and added some interesting syncopation in there. Um, for the horns to do their thing, and then when we brought them in, we said, "Hey, do whatever you feel like doing," and that's what they came up with. That's very cool. Um, I really want to thank you for coming back on uh, for the full interview because Paula was here uh, the night Monday after the IBCs ended, uh, and uh, for our wrap-up show, uh, she called in for a few minutes. But uh, I really wanted to do this since we met at the IBC because she's just such a just such a fun person. I just knew that we'd have a good time on, on the air. Uh, so thank you so much. Well, it was my pleasure pleasure to call in. Um, you're just a delightful person, and I'm looking forward to the next time I can see you face-to-face. Absolutely. It'll either be February or May when you come back. I hope, yeah, I have a yeah. feeling. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, everybody have a great week. Uh, we'll see you back here on Music on the Couch on Monday, October 8th. Uh, Paula Harrison, her band, The Beasts of the Blues. And our horn section, the big ass brass. Uh, she doesn't mess around. Uh, this is from the latest album, Turning on the Naughty, and I play dirty.
Make you mad. 